0: Hello, and welcome back to the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. Today, I have with me Dr. Jacob Hardin. Dr. Hardin is a doctor of chiropractic, and we talk all about pain and injury. We talk about what you should do when you notice pain, what you should not do when you notice pain. We talk about how to reduce your risk of injury. And interestingly, all of these things are probably not what you think they might be. So give it a listen. I sure hope you enjoy it. Hello. Hello. So glad you could join us. With us here today is Dr. Jacob Harden. He's a doctor of chiropractic. He is prolific on Instagram. I have to tell you, I enjoy your post so much. You have videos on literally every muscle in your body, how to stretch it, strengthen it, prevent pain, relieve pain, just a wealth of knowledge. So excited to talk to you.
1: Thank you for having me on. I'm super excited for this.
0: Awesome. So, so, so happy. So tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Well, like you said, I am a doctor of chiropractic. I have a practice in Orlando, Florida, focusing on mostly sports injuries and uh, got originally from Texas, got my bachelor's degree from the University of Texas, and then came out to Florida where I went to chiropractic school. I uh, have a little bit of a background in sport, playing baseball and tennis, as well as competing in powerlifting, which kind of led me towards the I guess, sports medicine side of things. And uh, my, I guess my whole goal was to give people a little better options with their health than just saying like, oh, well, don't do that when uh, whenever they get injured. So that was yeah. a part of me wanting to jump on social and you know start sharing that kind of information.
0: Now, how did you get started on Instagram? You have a gigantic following. Tell me about how you got started.
1: Well, it came about as I was, I came out of chiropractic school and I just wanted to kind of share some information that I had, and that was in 2015, like early 2015. So like most people back then, it was like 15-second videos at that time. So I was just sharing a random exercise, you know, silent video or whatever, and did that two, three times a week and for about a year and a half. And uh, I had probably amassed around five, 6,000 followers around that time. And then I just started, decided I wanted to really go all in on it so I asked myself the question you know what are people really really dealing with what are they struggling with and how can I you know bring my information to them in a way that I think everybody can get it so I started talking to the camera more I started doing the instructionals and it just blew up and that you know the train never stopped rolling it seemed
0: Love that. So what was the answer to your question? What are people looking for? What are they struggling with? What's the answer to that in your mind?
1: I think people re- people are looking for help. And I think that there's an interesting thing about health and that, you know, a lot of times people talk about how people are, they, they're just not motivated to get their health on track or they just don't have the drive to do it. And I think that a lot of people do. And a lot of people don't, they don't need the motivation. They just need the instruction on how to get there. So my thought was just, you know, people have the self-efficacy. They have the drive to want to improve upon themselves. So let me just break it down step-by-step for them, how they can do that. And let's just bank on the fact that people care about themselves
0: love that. So you said at the beginning that you were, when, when you first started out just generally as a chiropractor, I think even before um, we talked about social, that you had this idea that there you wanted to give people better options than just don't do that. Talk to me more about that. What other options, where do you focus?
1: Well, so there's just this, it's almost a joke now that you're, if something hurts, they're just told, well, don't do that. And yeah, it's like this, chronic thing about like well just less is better rest is better mm. quit, quit trying to push it and that certainly has its place there are certainly people out there that just have a no pain no gain mentality and need to take a day off but there's another side to that which is well, try try doing this thing instead so it's kind of a maybe we just need to modify things a little bit for you um, there's a lot of ways to do that which we can get into if you want but yeah. there's you, know, you there are ways to continue working an area even if it's in pain or even if it's hurting and that's kind of what I wanted to bring to the table
0: that's amazing so let's kind of talk about some of the the areas that people struggle with the most what do you get the most questions about
1: uh, i think you know i think the big hitters are the low back pain shoulder pains knee pains mm-hmm. for the most part uh, you look at specific issues of different movements. You know the squats and the deadlifts are all you know seem to give people lots of trouble. But looking at it from a kind of a joint injury area, it's definitely low back, shoulders, and knees. And that's what I see in practice the most. I
0: totally agree. Those are the things that I hear from my clients the most when they talk about pain that you know a history of pain that they've had or where they're starting to to struggle with pain, shoulders, low back, knee. That's Those are the big ones. So why don't we kind of go through those body parts just one at a time and kind of talk. Let's start with shoulders. What can people do proactively to have healthy shoulders? Let's say they don't have pain yet, but knowing that this is an issue, what can people do?
1: Well, this is going to be a similar answer across most body areas. Okay. But the main thing that you need to think about is that you have a certain demand that you're going to throw in your body. Any area of your body, you have a demand. If you're a runner, there's going to be a demand on your feet and your knees, right? If you're a construction worker, there's definitely going to be a certain demand on your back and your shoulders and everything else. If you sit at a desk, there's going to be a certain demand. So the first thing you need to do is identify your demand. And then you need to ask yourself how you can prepare for that. So if we look at sport and we take – a professional athlete and we look at what they're doing in their off season it's they're trying to prepare themselves to be able to survive a year long or a you know half year long season with hopefully not getting injured and performing well at that so they go through wow. phases of training for that and it's very much directed towards being able to be prepared and that's really what we need to be doing as just individuals as well is we need to be asking ourselves well what do i what do i have to do what do i need to do and how can i go about that so for the most part i think most people should be focused on strength first okay. so if you if we look at what the majority of people need to be able to do um you need to be able to carry things usually heavy things you need to be able mm-hmm. to pick up If you need to be able to pick things up close to your body. So if we think about an exercise that might go well there, we could think about something like your presses, your overhead presses, um, your rows. But then you also need to be able to hold things kind of far away from your body, right? And that's where things like our lateral raises come in, our front raises. Like you're training yourself for these specific activities that you're going to be performing. And if we think about that demand, really what we're trying to do is we're trying to raise our bodies ability to withstand that so we're just trying to raise our ceiling high enough to where life can't break us yeah and that's really what strength training does for us or any type of training really is is it's just really raising that ceiling of this is what I can do and then you if you get it high enough the activity isn't going to hurt you
0: and so you for you the first piece of that then is strength training building up your strength
1: For a lot of people, it is. Um, It's always context-dependent. So Mm -hmm. someone might come in, they have a good base of strength, but they need their – so take a runner, for example. Maybe they have a good base of strength, but they need to be doing some plyometric work to better kind of maybe strengthen up their tendons a little bit more. Somebody might come in after an injury or with a chronic pain issue, and they just need to be able to tolerate movement. A little bit better. So, Mm -hmm. traditional strength training might not be what we would go for uh, to start. We might just do some work just to get them to just tolerate movement a little bit easier. Okay. But somewhere along those lines, we're gonna. I would say the majority of people are going to need to be doing some sort of strength training.
0: And so that's this first piece of identifying you. You identify the demand, and then the the things you're going to do to target that demand. One of those is strength training. What else? What else do you do that then next?
1: Uh, Keep doing it. That's that's a big one.
0: Um, (laughs) Don't stop.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, don't stop. So I think when we look at there is then it starts to really get off into like okay, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Because the The demands will differ. So if you're a field or sport athlete, then you're going to have more of a demand of needing to be able to run, jump, cut, change direction, that kind of stuff, move at high speeds. So from there, you need to be integrating that type of training in. So plyometrics need to be in, you know, some high high intensity training needs to be in there. You might want to work on agility and that kind of stuff versus if you're someone who just wants to be healthy, play with their kids and generally live life, then you know it might just be strength training and going for a walk a few times a week might be perfectly enough for you and just kind of gradually progressing over time. It doesn't have to be super fancy by any means. You know, the basics get us 99% of the way usually. But the, the key to it is all is twofold, really, because when we look at injury, we, injuries happen in kind of two different ways. You have your acute injuries, which are like in a single instant, you know, you're mm-hmm. your you rolled your ankle, you jumped, landed, and tore your ACL or something. Mm-hmm. Those are a little bit harder to, say, prevent, or even, we don't really prevent anything. It's more of, they're a little bit harder to reduce our risk of. Gotcha. But the other side of that is what we call kind of our overuse injuries, which are more whatever. That's the grand majority of what people deal with. And those are really broken down into two categories. You either did too much too soon or you pushed for too hard for too long. Mm-hmm. So it's the next step after you've kind of figured out what is it that I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Is Then making sure that you're kind of moving gradually in the right direction. So don't do too much too soon in that it's, you know, kind of start easy and build on top of it. The too hard for too long is you need to monitor how you're feeling. You need to monitor your recovery. And if you are consistently pushing yourself to where every workout feels like a nine out of 10 Mm -hmm. for a month straight, it's probably time to back things down and let your body catch up a little bit. So what that do you you're think not-
0: a good range? So if people are monitoring themselves on that scale, you know, one to ten. How hard was my, how hard was my workout? Where do you think they should fall most of the time?
1: Well, let's say that we're doing a six week training training block. Mm-hmm. I would probably say most people should be starting around a five or six for the first week or two. So that kind of cuts us into that. Don't do too much too soon, right? Mm-hmm. So five or six, you're working, but you're not pushing yourself near your limits then on the other end of that week five and six feel free to push to that eight nine level right even maybe up to a 10 really push hard because you're because we can plan in a what we call a deload where we reduce the volume and intensity of work we do so our recovery can catch up so because you know you have that deload coming you can push a little bit harder right before it So that's week five and six. We have week one and two. So now it's kind of week three and four. There we're just going to live in that kind of six to eight range, gradually kind of building stepwise so that the workouts get harder and harder and harder over the course of this six weeks.
0: And then after that time you go back to the beginning.
1: Right. So we've kind of run it in cycles. And if you looked at it as like, chart it look like a wave pattern you dial up and then you dial down dial up dial down the key is that every cycle that you start it's going to start a little bit higher than the last one did and it's going to end a little bit higher than the last one did so that let's take a squat for example let's say that you start your six-week training cycle at squatting 100 pounds for five reps, and you end it squatting 115 pounds for five reps. Well, you deload out because 115 was really hard. That was really pushing you. You maybe start your next one at 105, and you end at 120. And you start at 110, you end at 125, right? And so we see how this – we it's a little incremental progress over time. But most and- people – to take that you know straight line to the top
0: yeah yeah and you find that training in this way helps to prevent injury
1: it definitely can it definitely helps reduce our risk because everyone at the time is going at any given time you have a certain amount of work that you can recover from and if we continually push beyond that limit then that's where we can start to kind of just run ourselves into a hole and you start to drag a little bit
0: I think what? hearing this will help people a lot. I think people kind of fall into two categories here, either those who push, push, push all the time, and they always want to be up there. And there are also those that who are really afraid to push at all. And so I think I'm hearing sorry. hearing this can help kind of give them a better framework um, for, you know, knowing what works for pushing. Because I think people really do tend to be afraid of injuring themselves, so they don't I'm... want to push.
1: Absolutely. That's, that's what I I talk about a lot in my seminars is that if the end goal is improving that ceiling, right, what we call improving your your capacity, then you have to work hard enough, first of all. And that's a huge problem that a lot of people have in why they're not getting results is they're just not working hard enough. Mm
0: -hmm. On
1: the other end, You have people that want to trash themselves every single day, and they're just accumulating so much fatigue that they're not seeing progress. Right. Because it's interesting in that the every training session that you do is going to build what we call fitness and fatigue. So fitness is all your positive adaptations to training. Okay, that's your increased muscle mass, your better. Um, like neural coordination and all that fatigue will also come in though that's negative adaptation so that's just you're tired like you're really tired after a workout and you have muscle damage after a workout and your connective tissues need to heal up after that too so the thing about it is that there is kind of what we call a dose response effect to exercise in that you, the more you do, the more fitness that you tend to build, mm-hmm. but it's only to a point because eventually it starts to kind of tail off where more work doesn't give you more results. So it kind of, at a, it's kind of like up to a point you're, you, if you just do more work, you'll get more out of it, but then it kind of, it's kind of diminishing returns
0: mm-hmm. and it can mm-hmm. even
1: get to a point where if you start if you continue to do more, you can actually get less results because you're going to be accumulating so much fatigue from all that work that your body can't recover from it. And that's whenever you're kind of reaching that point of you know you're, you've surpassed that recovery ability. So this is more work than my body is currently prepared for. Over time it can get there, right? Because if I try and run a marathon today, you're not going to see me getting out of bed for a week. Yeah. (laughs) But if I, if I train for it for three months, then you, then I'll probably be able to do a lot better there. Right. And I'm going to handle that. So you can definitely build that over time.
0: And so it's finding that right balance of fitness and
1: fatigue. And that's going to probably be about for the average person, somewhere between eight to 15 sets per body part per week. That'd probably be a good starting point for most people to be in, in strength training, somewhere between eight and 15. If you're a little bit more endurance trained coming in, you can probably handle a little bit more. Mm-hmm. If you've never worked out in your life, you're going to be, on, it's probably going to be less. So you might fall more towards the bottom end because we see that some people get better from just two sets a week. Like that's all they need right. because they've never done anything. Mm-hmm. You know, some people do four, set, four sets and they're great. Like they're making progress. So I think that's also a good thing to know because if that's all you have time for, then cool, go in and do that because it's something, something, right? It's better than than laying on our couch. So it's finding that right balance. And so if taking it back to our six-week training cycle here, let's say that we want to start with these easier workouts. So from a training volume standpoint, maybe you start around that eight-set mark. For week one, you're going to slowly build up to doing about that 15 sets near week six, right? And then we'll grab and then we'll deload it out. Then we'll start back eight sets again and build back up to 15. And over time, maybe you add one, so you're going nine to 16 or 10 to 17 or whatever. But that's that long. That's long term, and you'll get there eventually. Right. So that's kind of how people can start to set up maybe a training volume to make sure that things are feeling pretty easy early on, but then are also feeling really hard at the end.
0: Got it. You know, it's so interesting to me that the answer to my question is, you know, about reducing the risk of of pain and and stress in these areas. And you went right for strength. I, I think I would have guessed that you would have talked about stretching and mobility and flexibility. That's kind of where I guessed you would have taken this. So I'm actually really excited you went with you went with strength. So talk to us about some of those other things. So let's say let's say you you're working and you you have this strength training program, you're doing it set up how you have here and you start to notice pain. Obviously pain is never a good thing. What should people do? Like how do they know like I should go see a doctor? I should work through this like what's what's their steps?
1: That's definitely a very hard question to answer. And it's a lot of it can come down to what is your current understanding of pain? What is your current like assessment of that situation? Because you know, pain is normal, pain's a part of the human experience. It's not something that we need to always be, I guess, actively avoiding, in that, you know, if you. And that comes down to, you know, like some people we said are kind of afraid to hurt themselves. So they're afraid Mm -hmm. to kind of push themselves a little bit. So there's an interesting study where they measured people's fear of pain and then put them through a dam, what we call a damaging workout. So they induced a lot of muscle damage for them. And we know whenever you induce a lot of muscle damage with high volume workouts and stuff, you're going to be sore. Mm -hmm. So those who had higher fear of pain had more intense soreness really? there. Yeah, so they were more sore than those who had lower fear of pain and their performance also was less in the subsequent workout. So when we look at what we're actually trying to necessarily avoid here and this we're not necessarily trying to just avoid pain. We're trying to avoid the disability that comes from, that can come from pain. Mm-hmm. Sure. So and that's really the main driver behind injury. So pain is not the primary driver of being injured. So you said that like what classifies me as being injured or not injured. is not necessarily pain because like, think about getting a paper cut. It obviously, <laughs> it obviously really hurts. Right. Yeah. But you, you know, you just, you know, you bandaid it up and say, no, I'm, you know, I'm got to be an adult here. I'm going to go to yeah. work today.
0: And <laughs> No one really classifies
1: themselves as injured. And so it's not pain. Pain isn't the thing that necessarily says, Oh, I'm injured. On the other side of that is like, you have like damage. and And so damage is not necessarily the primary driver behind injury either. Because we see all these studies that show that people have disc herniations and no pain or limitation. They have rotator cuff tears, no pain or limitation, Uh, disc bulges. All this stuff seems to be like it's part of normal aging. It's not necessarily something that says, oh, you have this, you're injured, you can't train or work out or anything. So it's not damage either. The main driver behind being injured or not is is it limiting you is it disabling you so is it limiting your function so the main thing that you need to assess is is this something that i can work through or is this something that's severely limiting my function can i if i just try and move in a different way is that okay you know can i if i i can't squat today well, can i squat to a box can i lunge can i do less weight And may you work with it that way versus if it's kind of really intense pain, it's causing you a limp. It's, you know, it's not going away. Get that checked out. Like definitely get that checked out. But Mm. also if you, but if you have that thing, it's like, yeah, it only happens when I do this one specific movement. It kind of just came on randomly today. And like, you're probably okay to just work around it and see what happens. And then if it's still not going away at all or it's getting worse it's progressive progressively getting worse definitely see your doctor definitely go ask about that and make sure that it's not something worse than what it uh than what we actually might think it could be but the first the first thing then that i think a lot of people need to do if they feel pain is don't freak out Uh. right that needs to be the first thing because the grand majority of pain is going to go away Mm. is that it's normal. So it'll it'll work itself out. So the majority 75% of back pain resolves itself in six weeks with really? no no intervention whatsoever. Yeah. So if somebody comes into my office and they're just like barely walking, if I I can do all these treatments for them and they can come and that and that's on Friday, they can come back in on Monday and be like, oh I feel 90% better. That might not even be due to anything that I did. It might mm-hmm. just be the natural course of the low back pain. That's just mm-hmm. kind of the natural history of how it goes. And so we'll tend to spend more time just educating someone on that and say, yeah, try and stay as active as possible. You know, we've ruled out that there's, it's not frac you don't have a fracture, it's not cancer, there's not an infection. You know, we rule out all the big bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And once we do that, a lot of it's just saying, hey, this is going to be okay. You're going to – don't freak out. Just try and stay active. Rest when your body's telling you it needs to rest. But also get in and try and move around and try and work out as you can. And it's going to gradually subside itself.
0: Would you say that that is a different approach than most doctors would take? Yo,
1: yes. Yes.
0: Be- because I would. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine having gone to a doctor and having them say that to me. That's not been my experience in the past. Usually they – usually people want you to quit what you're doing rest as much as possible that's usually what i'm told
1: yeah that's still very common to hear that um you know and that comes from the medical side it comes from the physical medicine side as well where there you know the standard might be giving giving a certain medication for someone with say back pain
0: mm-hmm.
1: versus you know you come to physical therapy you might get you know core exercises that you need to be doing at home you go to chiropractic they might want to put you on three times a week adjustments
0: mm-hmm.
1: for whatever then but in the end a, the current evidence would tell us that it's going to self-resolve now that doesn't mean that you can't use all that other stuff too Right? that's because the main thing is people need to understand that it's going to get better. And that they don't need to necessarily be dependent on someone Mm -hmm. to get them better. Their body's going to do it. If they will stay active, take the right steps and not catastrophize what their pain is. So don't make it out to be more than what it is. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't freak out about it basically. And if you kind of have that under control, so you're just saying, okay, I've, I'm not freaking out. I know this is going to get better and I'm going to continue to just try and stay active. We're all good. You can still want to get that adjustment to make your back feel better. You can mm-hmm. still want to have that massage. You can still want to do those exercises that make things feel better. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of just make you feel better as the process is going along. But the the foundation of that needs to be built upon that understanding of Hey, I'm okay to move. I'm not broken. I'm. This is going to be okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Rather than saying, "Oh yeah, you real? Yeah, this is the, your spine's twisted five degrees this way, and you have this one leg that's a little off, and your pelvis is out of place, and I need you. You're going to need me to put all that back and realign you the right way because you have all these issues about your body, and that's the reason you're in pain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which it's not really that
0: way. Interesting. And so it seems like you're saying that the mental component of this is very big. So when you have pain, and you panic about it, catastrophize it, that it's it, what it tends to build on itself.
1: Yes, that's one of the biggest uh, the biggest correlating factors of pain becoming chronic is people catastrophizing their own pain, to the point that they're always thinking about it, they're making it out to be more than what it is, and they feel like no one can help them.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah, I know. I know my own coach has told me when I'm when I'm worried about deadlifting, if I worry I'm going to get injured, that I'm way more injured to get. I'm way more likely to get injured deadlifting if I'm worried about getting injured while I'm deadlifting.
1: It's amazing how that works. It's there's a lot that goes into. There's a lot that goes into that, and expectation is one of them. And expectation is a big reason why some treatments work too. So. What is your expectation of how you think something's going to help you? you know if you're a I'm a chiropractor, so if you're a huge believer in chiropractic and you're a huge believer in the in getting adjusted for your back pain, it's very much likely that that's going to help your back feel better mm-hmm. if that if you get that done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you're a person who's like, "Oh, this is total b s and this like you're just some you're a quack who's not a real doctor and you should, I don't need you. Like, you're not going to get better from that. From you that know, adjustment. It's funny
0: you say that I've had that exact experience in my own home. So I have a chiropractor. I go to him regularly. Huh. He's helped me a lot. And my husband does not like it at all, but he was in a lot of pain about a year ago. I can't remember what, what body part it was. And I finally convinced him to go and he swore up and down. It didn't help. And I couldn't believe it didn't help him. I'm like, how did that not help?
1: Well, it's the, be- the, the premise behind it has to, this is where we have to get into the premise behind what it's all actually doing. So thing that I think most people need to know is that we have no evidence that like adjusting and stuff actually moves bones. Mm. So like we're not realigning anything. What what are you doing? Well, it's very much largely just neurological. Mm. So, and I'm, it a lot of it's probably kind of placebo, in all yeah. honesty. So that's what we call that contextual effect. If you really believe it's going to work for you, then it's going to work for you. Yeah. Um, you know how if if you have a if, you, if a kid comes in and he you know he scraped his arm and he runs to his mom, he's like oh and, and you know mom kisses it the area <laughs> and all of a sudden it feels better. It's like, obviously not, nothing, nothing healed there, like nothing changed there, but he feels so much better, right? And we call that kind of placebo, but it's also what we call like the contextual effect. He got mm. that comfort. Mm-hmm. He got that human touch. He got, he, he got what he needed out of that. So adjusting can work along the same, the same realm in that it might not necessarily do anything physical at all. Um, and so if someone really just doesn't believe that that's doing anything for them, it's likely not going to help very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go, since you go to a chiropractor, you ever gotten adjusted and you didn't hear the pop?
0: No, I always hear the pop. Do, so okay. if you're saying, do if people don't hear the pop, they think nothing happened. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So people don't hear the pop and then they, they're like, Oh, yeah, it's, no, I still think it's there. It's, you know, it's still there. Ah. You go to, like, the other, you should, like, go to the other side, adjust there, they hear a pop, and now everything is amazing. Oh, that was it. That, that, was it. What needed, that was what needed to happen. Like, we didn't actually realign anything. We didn't actually move a bone here. But, you know, you needed to hear that in order for you to feel that something happened. So part of that contextual effect is you having it like relaying to your brain. Oh, something happened here. I got a treatment. And so that is a huge part of it as well. It can go into little things like, is the doctor wearing the clothes that you expected them to wear? Like if, you, if you've seen my Instagram videos and you see me in you know my athletic gear and then I walked out in a white coat, would that – be a weird situation because you're like, Ooh, that's not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. You know, or if I was totally different than the person that you, that I portray online, then that would be, that would definitely lead to probably subpar results in my clinic. Cause people be like, Oh, what this is, this is just not what I was expecting at all. And so you tend to just not feel like that treatment was as effective whenever all that happens so that's a part of why I've kind of moved away from using things like adjustments and stuff like that, because I moved more towards exercise, which mm-hmm. has more of a physical effect on people. Yeah. But there's definitely those same effects that happen with exercise, too, in that if we tell somebody to squat with their knees back because it's going to take stress off their knee, all of a sudden their knee feels better. Well, we put an expectation in their head.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if, we, if we tell you to try deadlifting this way and all of a sudden your back feels better, well, we did put an expectation there. There's obviously a, bio, there's a biomechanical effect mm-hmm. that's happening there too from maybe more or less stress, mm-hmm. but it's magnified by whatever the brain's doing.
0: And do you think that that's the bigger piece?
1: Yes. Interesting. I, because I don't think most people people don't need to necessarily be stronger to get out of pain. They don't necessarily need to be more mobile to get out of pain. They might need that in order to get back to doing whatever activity it is that they want to do with no restriction. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's kind of an important distinction to make. So if you are a runner dealing with plantar fasciitis, You know, you don't necessarily need to be stronger in order to make your pain go away. You might need to be stronger if you want to run a marathon without
0: pain. Mm -hmm.
1: But managing the load that you're putting on the body in that you need to manage the time when your feet and you need to back off the running a little bit. That's probably going to be the main thing that actually helps the pain decrease. Changing your thought process around pain, not catastrophizing it. You know, coping with it well—that's the kind of stuff that's actually going to help the pain settle settle itself down. But then, once it's settled down, you might need to be—you might need to start getting yourself a little bit stronger, because again, it, then it comes back to that preparation standpoint. Were you actually prepared for what you did, and is that the reason things got overloaded in the first place and got sensitive?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we. Kind of have to, so it's a little bit of a backing down process and then it's a building back up process off of it.
0: Got it. What would you say to people who do struggle when they have pain? You know, there are a lot of people who, who they, even though they're not professional athletes, they just, they enjoy the pursuit of whatever their hobby is. They want to run, they want to lift. And when they do have pain, it's upsetting because they're like, well, now, now I can't, I can't do that for now. And they do worry about it. What's your best advice for them to get past that?
1: Acknowledge it, like acknowledge your injury, acknowledge that it's there, but don't accept that it's going to be the thing that limits you forever. Mm-hmm. So we, I call it having a recovery mindset. So people that have an injury mindset tend to be more focused on, look at all the things I can't do. Look at how this is holding me back. Why can't I want to be able to do this right now? Why can't I have this? Because I should be able to do this versus having that recovery mindset is more centered around. I acknowledge that I have this. I acknowledge that maybe I'm not prepared for what I want to do right now. And I need to build up to that more so. And I can get there. And you keep that mindset of I can get there. I will get there, but I need to take the next baby step forward in order to get there. So, typically what i try and help a lot of those people with who are kind of chronically struggling with issues is to help them figure out what is that next baby step mm. for not just not just what's the next leap yeah but, but like what's the step in between the leaps how do we do you know the next little thing better because a lot of people are so centered around subjective progress and that all they care about is you know, my pain was a six before my pain is a six now, Mm -hmm. therefore I'm not better. But if we looked at it from objective progress, you had, you, your pain was a six before whenever you squatted a hundred pounds, your pain's a six. Now, when you squat 200 pounds, Mm -hmm. that's a big difference. You're much less limited. Now the pain might still be the same, but functionally you're a lot less limited. If we went back into that hundred it might be, your pain might be a zero. So that's a big difference. difference. You've raised your ceiling. Now, eventually we want to get that to the point that you're limited more by your own physical ability than you are by your pain. And once we've reached the point that you are limited more by your strength, your endurance, you know, your work capacity, more so than what your pain is Mm -hmm. then now we're just in a training scenario. Because I can, I can put you through a workout that will cause pain, right? If I, if I can sit and make you do bicep curls for two hours straight and your elbow's going to hurt, it's just what's, how high is the ceiling before that's going to happen. And I think that's the big key that a lot of people need to understand is that we're never making pain go away. We're just raising the ceiling high enough to the point that we can do all the things we want to do without it being there.
0: That's an interesting distinction that is very different because I always think about making pain go away.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's what, and it comes from this we've been taught that pain is very bad for us.
0: Yeah. We've been
1: taught that pain means something is damaged within my body, therefore, I need to stop. Mm -hmm. But we need to view pain more as a protective mechanism, it's trying to tell you something. Pain is like that alarm going off that says, hey, wake up and please stop doing what you're doing. Like I'm freaking, it's your brain freaking out about something. So we need to then assess that situation and say, is this legitimate? So is that alarm legitimate in that, like, do I have a bone sticking out of my leg right now? Did I just like fracture something? Did I just roll my ankle? Is that, you know, legitimate concern? Or another legitimate concern might be, hey, did I just push nine out of 10 workout for six weeks straight? And now my knees are starting to hurt. Like, listen to that. Because it's probably telling you back off. Like, go, like, give me a break for a little bit. Let recovery catch up. Yeah. But it's not necessarily an indication that, you know, I have that knee pain, you know, that random knee pain, Oh, it must be my meniscus mm-hmm. oh, it must be my ACL. Oh, it must be that, you know my cartilage is wearing away on the backside of my knee. It might just be that you tried to run a marathon whenever you weren't ready for a 5k.
0: What about you the know? role of aging and pain? So I'm in my late forties. I work with a lot of women who are in their forties, fifties, sixties and older. Um, and you know, a lot of them are just like, well, you know, I'm getting older, so this is to be expected, the pain that they have. What What is your take on that?
1: Um, you know, so I don't necessarily buy into that a ton. I think that there's a lot of misconception around maybe how we train older people and that if we, a lot of people, so older people need, tend to need more work to improve than Mm -hmm. younger people do because they're less sensitive to the stimulus of training. So as we have hormonal changes, um, lower testosterone levels, especially, you know, you're not going to get the same result from the same stimulus anymore. So older people tend are going to tend to need to do more work over time to continue improving their body. Mm -hmm. That's, in stark contrast to how most get trained in that we tend to think as we get older, we should just be, we should be doing less because we're more fragile now.
0: Yes. I have a lot of new clients come to me complaining that their previous trainers would not push them hard enough because they felt that they were going to get injured.
1: Right. So what do we know happens if you don't train hard enough? Well, you detrain. Yeah. Right. So if you, train, well now your ceiling's coming down so the thing that i would think most people need to do is they need to identify that hey you you're a little detrained and we need to build your work capacity work work capacity incrementally over time so that you can handle the amount of work that you're actually going to need to get better you know you look at all the you you know we see these Super inspiring stories of like that woman in her eighties who just ran the ultra marathon or something, you know. And she's like, "Yeah, I feel wonderful. Like my, I feel great." And I was like, yeah, because you continue to adapt mm-hmm. because the human, because the human is body is an adaptive organism. Like we don't just stop adapting at some point because we get older. It just might become a little bit harder to adapt as you get older. But that actually means that you need to be pushing yourself more to get there. So it's pretty commonplace nowadays, I would say, for people to work out pretty hard in their 20s, maybe even early 30s, but then somewhere between late 30s to maybe 50, they take a break
0: mm-hmm. from
1: training because well, life happens There, yeah. you know in that time frame. You know, you have kids and you have soccer games that you have to go to, and you have school functions and family and all this stuff, and people just end up not working out as much. They end up not exercising as much through that time frame. But then we also see that when they get to late 40s, 50s, they want they try and want to start to get back into it. They want to kind of get their body back. They want to exercise again for mm-hmm. their health. And they, but they're coming in detrained because they've had all this time where they've – they're just not training well enough or at all in order to continue spurring that adaptation. So the, you know, they're, they're coming in, in that state, then they might get a little bit more flared up from something that we would consider to be a normal workload for a lot of people. So, but we have to build them over time and we have to identify, we have to understand where someone's coming from in the current state that they're coming from. So that's where I like lean back on that. Well, you know what? Maybe like two sets a week for a body parts perfectly fine for right now. And we need to just say like, all right, let's just see what you do here. Like two sets. That's all we're going to do. Come back the next session. Hey, how did you feel with that? Yeah, I felt really good. No, no issues. Cool. Let's do three. Let's do four. And we're going to gradually build you up over time to the point that you're saying, yeah, no, I was like, i was pretty fatigued after that last workout like that one really felt like it pushed me okay we're starting to find your top end ceiling and then let's pull it back down rework up a little bit higher right and we start to understand where our ceiling is and we'll gradually push the ceiling as we go
0: And it seems like what you're saying too is had they stuck with strength training kind of back to where our talk began about the importance of strength had they stuck with that training through their thirties and forties, even in those busy years, they would be in a much better place now in their late forties and heading into their fifties when, when they are concerned about being healthier had they, had they kept that up. So you have what one t- one son, right? You have one little one. Yes.
1: Yeah. One little one.
0: So how do you manage, what do you do to make fitness a priority in your life?
1: Uh, so I just recently, well, for this first year, Actually, for the first year, which he's won now, I, I backed off a lot from my, from my training.
0: Okay.
1: Because it takes a lot less work to maintain what you have than it does to build higher. For sure. Okay. So I kind of pulled it down to like, what's the minimum amount of work that I need to do just to kind of maintain myself, which for me, to, it was like two days a week. Just I'm gonna I'm gonna strength train I strength train like two days a week three days a week when I could, and I get out and go for a walk and stuff like that in order to just kind of just generally feel healthy. Uh, but I also travel a lot, which you know doesn't help things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I feel like I'm in a place where I can get into it a lot more. So what I'm doing now is I'm pushing again, but I'm training more frequently throughout the week. So I'm training six days a week, okay. but I, but that also, but that allows me to distribute the amount of work that I need across all those sessions. So each session's a little bit sh- is shorter. So now I can get in a 45 minute workout six days a week if I want to while, uh, while my son is sleeping. And that's much more doable than trying to do a two hour workout three days yeah. a week where, I'm thinking about work and I'm thinking about that email and I'm thinking about him and he's, and he needs me. And you know, then my wife's trying to work out as well and Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work as well for us. So having flexibility in, in your training program is huge and realizing that like, you know, you can work out six days a week if you want to just make them smaller sessions. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's not just, that's another trap I think some people fall into is they think like, well, if I'm going to train more frequently, each workout, like I just need to add more when I do that. So like there's supposed to be this minimal level of hard that Mm -hmm. every training session is supposed to be. And like, I do three exercises in a workout right now. I do a lot of work within those three exercises, Mm -hmm. but that's what I do. And I accumulate all that work over the course of seven days. And that's, it's perfectly fine to do that. And we see that the same, we see the same results in studies from people that as long as you're accumulating kind of the same amount of training volume over a course of a week, the, how you tend to distribute it doesn't matter as much.
0: Got it. So, you know, I'm curious about your training. I saw you, I think I was on your stories recently and you were squatting a pretty heavy amount. Uh, And you say you're, you've power lifted in the past where you, did you compete?
1: I did. Yeah.
0: So a powerlifting chiropractor is really interesting to me. I know my chiropractor would way prefer that I did not powerlift at all. Um, how did you get into powerlifting and chiropractic both together? They don't seem to go together.
1: Well, I think they go together beautifully. Well,
0: clearly. But, let's, uh, hear, let's hear about
1: yeah. that. <laughs> okay. So uh, the – I. I was always into strength training. It came from sport. Uh, just I was training for my for sport back in high school and all that. Didn't play college ball, so got just spent more time in the gym just because it was my outlet. And then took up kind of powerlifting training when I went into chiropractic school, just to focus on strength and getting stronger over time. So, and I was in, it was interesting in that we actually had a really good like base of people in chiropractic school that were into powerlifting. So there were, yeah, there were probably like 10 of us that all just really enjoyed doing that. And we're seeing that more and more now with younger docs is that we're seeing more like ex athletes coming in to the school Mm -hmm. in order to kind of going that route and wanting to kind of take that kind of sports medicine route. Mm -hmm. So we had a good little group of people there that were really into it. So that kind of, again, fueled me a little bit more to continue with that. Uh, I never competed while I was in school, but uh, competed once I got out of school and was in practice. But, you know, from the thinking about the chiropractic standpoint, I know that it kind of comes down to my whole, I guess, philosophy behind it and that, you know, a lot of traditional Cairo is you know they want to like show you these like degeneration charts and mm-hmm. say like oh this is why you need to be adjusted forever and again like i said a lot of that's just normal aging like your body's believe me getting a quick getting the adjustments not going to necessarily stop any of that from happening but it's also not a bad thing if that happens anyway so like it's not anything that we need to be buying into the main thing that we need to be focused on is hey are you strong enough to withstand life's demands. That's the thing that's really going to help you. So, you know, squatting, deadlifting, bench pressing, you know, pushing weight over your head, pulling things close to you, you know, get stronger. Um, I think that's the main thing that we should be doing, you know, and I think that's the main thing that we should be doing as, you know, muscle specialists, we should be promoting that amongst our patients as well.
0: So for you, it's all the same, like you talked about identifying the demand, it's no different than if you want to, be able to pick up your grandkids if you want to be able to, you know, deadlift 500 pounds as long as you work progressively to strengthen your body to do that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's, the process is not terribly different. The, just how you get there might be a little bit different Mm -hmm. in that the, but the underlying concept is very similar in that it's a preparation process. So someone, someone may come in with an athletic background having trained for a long time and they're just they have a higher starting point than someone who is 50 years old and took the last 10 years off yeah so we just so we start them differently they might want to get to the exact same spot so they could have the exact same angle with a different starting point and they're going to get trained differently likewise they might have a different angle and they get trained differently so it's that's kind of how we have to think about it in that it's not necessarily the process that's different, but the implementation of the process might be different. Yes,
0: yes. So uh, do you think you'll compete again?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I will. Uh, I don't know necessarily when exactly that'll be, but right now I'm just trying to work back up to some old numbers and okay. see, what we, see what we can do.
0: Amazing. That's fantastic. So talk to me a little bit about your prehab 101 seminar. I see you talk about this. what is it, what is it all about? What kind of things do you talk about there?
1: So prehab 101 is of, oh it follows along a lot of these lines. It's about helping you understand preparation, along with I would say giving, getting more into the nitty-gritty details of all that, how you do that, how you design mm-hmm. the training program. Um, how you can give we give you a lot of metrics that you can kind of track in order to make sure that you're not doing too much too soon or pushing too hard for too long. Um, so that's kind of our first day of it is really focused on. Here's how we build over time. Here's that preparation process. Then the second day of the seminar, because it's two days, uh, looks starts looking more at rehabilitation. So we get more into one that psychological side of working with someone in pain. Um, how the brain is the main driver behind what's going on. And then uh, we look at different conditions. So things like tendinopathies or low back pain, um, hamstring tears, stuff like that, and kind of apply that process to it and say like, okay, here's, you know, here's, you have someone coming in with this issue Here's the demand. They want to get back on the field over here. So build backwards. What do you, how are you going to set them up plan from here? You know, apply this process of what we've talked about. Or now it's someone with low back pain that, you know, wants to be able to play with their grandkids and can't right now. And they haven't been able to in the last two years. And that's really draining on their life. You know, what does this person need? Right.
0: Who who is the seminar uh, best? Who's it a best fit for? Who's it intended
1: for? uh, it's for any health and fitness professional. Okay, great. Yeah, So we welcome any and all health and fitness professionals to come to the course. Uh, we want to make sure that we're getting this information out there to them and that there's they can see, you know, kind of simplify. I think it's simplifying a lot of working with someone in pain or just trying to keep someone healthy over time um, versus what I think a lot of is taught out there of, you know, what's the next magical trick that you need to apply for someone. Mm-hmm.
0: And you're all over the world.
1: Yeah, we are. I am. Um, I just got back from the Middle East. We're in Australia next month. Then we'll be over in Canada and then the UK and then we'll stick around in the States for a little while.
0: Wow. How, that must be really exciting. Now, does your, do you, does your wife and son travel with you?
1: Uh, sometimes. So my wife is coming with me to Australia because she, she's a chiropractor as well. So she'll be assisting me, um, in that course. I don't know that we'll have my son traveling with me, um, Mm. anymore. He's the, he's a little bit of a handful. Yeah. If I I have someone else to assist, then they'll sometimes come with me. Just, uh, my wife will watch our son while I teach. But if, if he's with, then, you know, it's, it's all hands on deck
0: for him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so this has been a really fascinating conversation before we go let's just have a quick speed round so i'll ask a question first answer that comes to your mind okay, okay. all right favorite lift of the big three squat really wow yeah. all right if you could only pick one stretch to do what's your favorite
1: um probably hamstring
0: okay favorite body part to train quads What's your favorite breakfast?
1: Um, two eggs, two pieces of bacon, and then a bowl of cereal. What cereal? It changes. It changes a lot. Right now, right now, I think I, ha- I was on like Honey Bunches of Oats or something, but it can just as easily be Fruit Loops.
0: <laughs> All right. Cereal is my favorite food, hands down. Lucky turn. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite way to relax?
1: Uh, going for a walk.
0: Do you do it every day?
1: I do, multiple yeah. times a day.
0: That's amazing. That's yeah, a good way. I, I, a, a I, I,
1: I have a black lab and a golden retriever, so they, okay. they, need, <laughs> they need the exercise, and so do I, so it works out well.
0: That's fantastic. So you travel a lot. Where's your favorite place you've visited so far?
1: Didn't actually teach in the city, but Brussels. We, oh.
0: uh,
1: Brussels was amazing. We stopped in for just a day on the way to another seminar in Belgium and one of the most beautiful cities I've ever been in.
0: Wow, I've never been there. I've heard really good things though. All right, last question. What's a favorite word?
1: Favorite word? Ooh, hmm, confidence.
0: Confidence, that's a good one, that's a good one. Well, this has been super helpful. I think people are going to really gain a lot from listening to this, Um, specifically about pain. That was a really different way to look at it. Um, Thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you if they're looking for you?
1: My main platform is my Instagram account. That is at dr.jacob.harden. You'll be able to find me there. Um, I'm also on all the major social media platforms and my Facebook, my YouTube and all that. Same name, Dr. Jacob Harden. You can find me on any of them
0: awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for joining me here on the Fitness Simplified podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you learned something. And if you did, I would love it if you would leave me a rating and a review. It really does help to get this show uh, in front of other people. Thanks so much for being here and I will catch you next time.